Hey everyone and welcome back to the 20 Minute Marketing Podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful day and thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your support. If you are a first time listener, then my name is Liam from Reach Interactive. We help businesses send SMS messages to their customers and every Wednesday we release a new episode of this podcast where I interview guest experts on a marketing related topic. We usually start with a quick introduction then chat for around 15 minutes or so, and then we close out every episode with a few fun questions at the end. This week is going to be a fun one because we have two guests that are joining us on the show. So I'm here with Peter Ballard and Dickin Doe from Foolproof, which is a global experience design company. So let's just get started and dive straight in. First of all, I hope you are both doing really well. And then could you both give us a quick 30 second introduction for our listeners, please? Hi Liam. Yeah, I'm Pete Ballard. I'm co-founder of Foolproof and I also wear the hat of head of marketing for our parent company, Zenzar, uh, in the EMEA region. And I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is um, Dick and Do. I'm also doing fine. I'm an experienced design director at Foolproof and I specialise in um, data analytics, application of AI and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's really cool that you have this combination of marketing and design experience between the both of you. Um, So I'm looking forward to tapping into uh, all of that as we get started. Before we do, though, could one of you give us a brief introduction on Foolproof, please? Yeah, Liam, I'll I'll take that. So Foolproof is an experienced design specialist, nearly 20 years old, actually, in, in this industry. And essentially, what experienced design means for Foolproof is we help our clients create digital customer journeys, end-to-end experiences based on a really detailed understanding of how consumers go about making the decisions that they do. So in a, in a, say in a retail context, it's really understanding what's the decision-making process that a consumer goes through from the minute that they have a particular need to finding the solution to that need onboarding, buying, receiving, the life cycle of owning that particular product. And then we use that detailed understanding to design a full experience so that we can really optimize pretty much every touch point that a customer has with an organization during that process to influence the end result that more customers will buy from our particular client and the customer will find that process of buying and choosing a product and owning the product that much easier all the way through. I think it's really interesting that you prioritize customer needs instead of looking at what everyone else is doing and sort of following industry standard. Um, We're going to be talking about an element of that during this episode, which is all about digital gifting and how businesses can use it to drive customer acquisition. So it's a super unique topic that we haven't covered before, and I'm looking forward to finding out more and learning from you both. So let's dive in and get started. So let's talk about digital gifting and customer acquisition then, guys. Uh, One quick question that I would like to ask you, first of all, before we start, just to make sure that this episode is really clear to our listeners, is what type of gifting are we going to be discussing during the episode? Are we talking about business to business, business to consumer or consumer to consumer gifting? I think it's uh, an interesting sort of combination, actually, of of the last two. So certainly business business gifting is a, is a topic. Certainly, there's a lot of opportunity to improve processes in that space. 
Um, but we've been much more focused on the B2C piece. But it's interesting you say consumers consumer for two reasons. I think one is because actually one of the things that we saw in, in the survey we completed recently on gifting was a significant number of people who were getting gifts shipped to them and then shipping them back out again. So they didn't really trust the experience uh, in, in the sort of B2C space there. And then I think the other, the other sort of element of that is, well, actually, at some level, this is all consumer to consumer. It's just that we're sort of letting a middle man take on some of that responsibility and get that right for us. That's part, I think, of the, uh, of the discussion for me. One of the main reasons is it's, we think it's been a bit of an unloved part of the kind of retail process so far. So most of the development, most of the thinking has gone into uh, improving the general e-commerce experience between the consumer and the retailer and you know, getting the product to the consumer. The idea of that being potentially sent to a third party or a, you know, kind of a gift recipient has not really been not really been thoroughly looked at as an opportunity by retailers. Uh, I just think it's been an unloved part of the process. Uh, but we think it's at a significant volume now that actually it could represent quite an opportunity for cheap customer acquisition and customer retention. Is that something that has changed over the past 12 months then with COVID and people trying to connect with their friends and families um, in different ways and online? Or is it something that you've been thinking about for quite a while now? So I suspect it's, it's quite a long-standing concern, an issue, actually. But it became really pointy this Christmas in particular. So, so I'm a pretty, uh, you know, but my sort of tendency is to whip around the shops on Christmas Eve and take care of my shopping. I couldn't do that this time. I had to buy lots of stuff that got sent to people. And it was a, it was a particularly difficult uh, experience, despite the fact we've had years of apparently trying to get this, this thing right. So, yeah, I think COVID's made it really obvious and something that really needs to be tackled. But actually, I think businesses should have been thinking a lot more about this historically. Yeah, I think the other factor is the, the pandemic changed the behaviour of you know, a, a large group of people who perhaps hadn't adopted online purchasing as much as you know, the kind of early adopters and, and it's forced those people into online so there's been a kind of you know, all retailers have seen a massive you know, increase in uptake of their digital channels so that that is changing behavior and with that comes you know a, bit, a, a growth in the number of people who are looking to send gifts yes of course the pandemic also made it harder to, to exchange gifts you know face to face personally it kind of took away that option so more people had a need to rem- if you're like remotely deliver a present or deliver a gift. So I think that's kind of heightened this opportunity, tightened the scale of the opportunity. Some really interesting points from you both. And again, we'll come on to that research shortly. I think the next logical question for me to ask is, how can sites improve that digital gifting experience then? Um, Are there immediate changes that they can take right away? Or does this require a long-term plan and strategy that they sort of need to follow? Um, so we, we recently hosted a roundtable with the IMRG, who are a, a sort of a peak body for representing um, retailer interests. They do a lot of data collection for the retail industry and so on. And we were talking about gifting. And what was really un- interesting in this question is there's an awful lot of expression of sort of, you know, a knowledge that this is a problem and that this has been a problem for some time. But actually, it's, it's a big problem. People don't really know where to get started in lots of cases. And also, they're not always completely aware of just how much of this capability might be. So many of these sales are around gifting. So how much of their how much of the business is gifting and therefore how much of it do they need to uh, get right? How important is it for them financially? How much do they invest, et cetera? 
one of the things that a retailer should do is, is be able to get a really detailed understanding of the experience that they can currently offer to people trying to do this. Because a lot of retailers out there might say, well, we've got gifting, you know, you, you can input a different address and, you know, the thing that you've ordered can be delivered to that address. And so functionally, they might think that they have that, they have that sorted. When you spend time understanding what's important to consumers, you uncover things like, well, I, I want this to be delivered with a sense of grandeur and you know, I, I want it to feel like it's a premium experience when you open it. So I, I do want some you know, gift wrapping options. I, I also want to not have my surprise potentially spoiled by ha- having to tell that person or making sure that that person is around to receive the gift. So I, if, I, I want to have a process by which that is not painful for people, but is really easily managed. I want the outer packaging not to reveal what it is. You know, I, I don't want to spoil the surprise. You know, I want, I want, I want those kind of important elements of uh, making a moment special. M- maybe I want to tag, you know, a deeply a personal message. I think we've all seen that, you know, kind of those varying success with retailers about even how that simple thing can be done. But you're know, doing that with a bit of care and thought, potentially even doing that via video. You know, there are there are lots of different ways where you can make that experience both for the recipient of the gift to feel a bit more special and a bit more of a personal touch as well as a bit more kind of reassuring for the sender. As Dickin mentioned, our research revealed that a lot of people didn't trust that process. So therefore gave themselves the job. They, they had the, the gift that they purchased delivered to their own address. And then they did the gift wrapping and the packaging and the personal message. And we think that the, the retailer not only could help solve that for the buyer, but could also use that opportunity to build a relationship with the recipient. Yeah, I think we also, we, we do, we think a lot in terms of experimentation and optimization. So there may be lots of little things you could try and you, you do little controlled experiments. So perhaps you could have an additional note added during the packaging process. Perhaps you could collect a little bit more information during a transaction, not making that production ready. So not going to that cost or expense, but just getting to that point where you can see how that might make a difference and see how it impacts kind of, you know, satisfaction scores and so on. So I think there's, there's kind of the, the big version of it, which is actually you really need to rethink this from the top down and get it all right from understanding consumers all the way through processes, et cetera, to actually what are the easy things to do? Where's the, where's the low-hanging opportunity here? Let's start on that while we're working out what the bigger opportunity looks like. Yeah, I'm definitely really enjoying this episode because it's such a unique topic and we haven't covered anything like it before. The more I think about it, it is always challenging to find gifts for people during events like birthdays, Christmas or special occasions. So I'm assuming that retailers that have a dedicated section of their website or maybe even a suggestions page uh, with a selection of gifts on there will open up their site to a new group of consumers. I think my sense of that is maybe... I find those sites really hard to use. So the 20 or 30 things that you've curated for me to buy as gifts, because you think they're good gifts, don't always necessarily sort of line up with what I might want or what I might have been told, you know, that my nephews want, uh, for instance. So I actually think it's probably a bit broader than that. I think it's more, some items are more giftable. So we were talking to a retailer the other day who sells everything from earrings to sofas. And so we were sort of having a joke about, you know, the sofa would be an interesting gift. It just turns up. You've got to work out where you're going to stick it in your house and that sort of thing. Um, but how would you even gift a sofa? What would you? What's the process there? But but actually, they've got lots and lots of items in their stock that probably 
are suitable for gifting, you know, maybe they could curate some of that into product pages. But I still think you need a really good way of gifting, even when you're outside of, of that, you know, kind of curated, you know, pure gifting environment. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Dick in there. I think some of those curated gifting experiences, okay, maybe around kind of Christmas, yeah, and it perhaps on the, a bit more on people's radar for having a look and they've got a number of people they're trying to find gifts for. They've got this same problem. But yeah, they do tend to unfortunately attract a certain kind of type of gift, almost the kind of thing you'd never buy at any other time of the year. So I think m- more the kind of top, the, the issue there is about how do you, how do retailers help people with inspiration? So thinking about your kind of permanent year round ways in which you can perhaps interrogate or explore that content ways in which you might just serendipitously discover content. You know, I think more creative ways of exploring uh, the online kind of inventory is, is a topic that retailers could look at. You know, it's always been perhaps a weakness of online e-commerce. It's not like walking around the store, getting inspiration. You tend to have to know what you're looking for. You know, it's very good for searching for something that you already know you want, but the browsing and kind of discovering and you know perhaps impulse purchasing is not it has never really been successfully designed in the online environment just an additional thought as well which is a lot of stuff we're talking about isn't digital you know so yes there's the experience of buying something and being able to add your your notes and um, so on but actually an awful lot of it is about supply chain and distribution and you know the last mile and packaging and it's it's a it's almost everything that's not digital that has to be thought through. Uh, the Amazon uh, guy throwing the package over your hedge at the end of an otherwise completely brilliant thought through curated process. There's a lot of factors to it. Do you know what? You're absolutely right there. Those sections that appear at Christmas usually do contain joke gifts or really random things that aren't always appropriate year wide. Um, so hopefully listeners within e-com can start to think about that process and make sure that it's more of a full experience and a year-round experience. One industry that does come to mind is the cards industry. So sites like Moonpig are great at upselling things like flowers, chocolates, balloons, etc. Once you've picked a card and then you can send them directly to the recipient so you don't have to sort of send it to your own address first. I'd love to know if there are any retailers outside of that industry uh, which have a great gifting experience that our listeners could check out and take inspiration from. We talked about not not necessarily curating gifts for a page that's called gifting, but actually curating retailers into an environment, I think has got quite a lot of merit. So, you know, my family, we buy quite a lot of stuff on Etsy, for instance. There's, there are organizations like Not On The High Street who specialize in trying to put these smaller organizations in front of an audience. And in the process, you get connected to smaller, more personal organizations with more personalized kinds of experience. So. I've had quite interesting gifts with a level of real personalization, you know, things with your name on it or, or things that reflect sort of interests and hobbies and things like that through that kind of activity. So I suppose the, the challenge would then be, well, how do we become a bit more like that and a bit less like a, like a huge corporate machine that's got to punch out gifts into boxes into the supply, sorry, into the distribution chain? Did you have anything that you'd like to add as well, Peter? I think there are some examples where there's an well, maybe an obvious opportunity that I'm surprised hasn't been tapped into. Again, I think one of the things that have become more common and maybe just seemed to fit the zeitgeist of like 2020 is, is people were looking for more kind of experiential gifts rather than just, you know, kind of material things to gift at the end of last year. 
is that some of these subscription models, premium coffee, I'm thinking of grind, you know, kind of coffee shops in London that um, have made their coffee now accessible to, for home use. And, and the most valuable thing for them is a subscription model. So you kind of regularly re- replenish your supply of these coffee pods. Now, that seems like a really easy thing to kind of package up as quite a nice gift for someone. But you might choose your, you know, how much you want to spend on that gift. So you might be able to give them three months supply or six months supply. And that's great. You know, they should be able to package that up really easily as a nice thing to give. And, and so it's got a bit of kind of drama to it. But at the end of that process, you want a really smooth transition from me paying as part of my gift to Dick in paying because he's the recipient of that gift. And at the end of the three months that I've paid for him, he now takes over that subscription if he has liked the gift and wants to carry it on. Now, again, I don't think those things have really been thought through as a really smooth, yeah, that as a customer journey, including the handover from me to Dickin, has not been thought through because it's really a member get member scheme that way. I, I discover Grind, but I introduce that to three of my friends. It makes a great gift from me, potentially Grind, get three new customers all on a subscription model. There's, there's a lot of value in that. For for a retailer, yeah, that's interesting, and I really like the coffee example. I think retailers could even run a referral scheme where perhaps the person who bought the gift gets some sort of cashback or a reward if the recipient uh, subscribes three months or six months down the line um, or whatever it is um, on that initial trial or offer that they had given to them by the um, the gifter. Yeah, I think what we're saying also you almost invert that question. So. So, so the, ob- the obvious examples of really great practice of few and far between and hard to come by, but the people you would expect to do this stuff well often don't. So my nephews this year wanted uh, Amazon gift vouchers. That's all they wanted. I just tried to feed them to, I'd buy them books or, you know, games or something like that, but they weren't interested. They wanted the money effectively. So I wanted to send to the same address, two different cards with the same amount on each, on each card, but with a different design. That was hard work. This is Amazon you know, mm-hmm. lauded uh, the world over as the greatest uh, sort of direct consumer operational business. And, and yeah, it was hard work. I did it three times before I managed to get the right combination of um, gift cards and, and uh, addresses and so on. So actually, it's, I, I think it's an enormous space to clean up in is what I think. Yeah, super interesting. So I'm cautious of time, which is always a challenge when we only have 20 minutes uh, per episode. So let's talk about one final thing. We've mentioned the research that you've conducted uh, before Christmas a couple of times now. Um, it's all about digital gifting. So I would love to hear more about that and some of the findings that you um, got from that research. Yeah, so we did, did a bit of research before Christmas about how people were feeling about online gifting and, and what they were going to do, how they were going to make sure that they were able to sort of fulfill that need. And there were a couple of interesting stats. So, so about 43% of respondents suggested that they were going to do things the hard way uh, so they were either going to get gifts sent to them that they were going to repackage and then send out again uh, or in in the case of 13 percent of respondents they were sending gift cards to themselves and then sending them out again so you'd think gift carding would, would be an obvious one that, that should have been taken care of should be relatively easy and straightforward but there's a, a reasonable proportion of people who are going to do that but actually don't don't really think that that's a good experience at the moment and needs improving but we thought the 30 percent also people that were doing this send, re-gift, send again activity were particularly interesting in a pandemic. You've got very little option for face-to-face contact. You can't travel. There are a lot of people who still don't trust those systems um, and won't use them 
uh, regardless of the circumstances they're in. So we thought that was kind of a signal that there's something to be done here. Yeah, and there was some really interesting bits of information in that research. I, mean, I thought one of the most revealing was only 25% of people could name a good gifting experience that they'd had in the last six months, whereas I think it was 40% who had had some kind of bad experience, so you know, kind of a dis unsatisfactory experience. We also probe what were the kind of things that people would look for in a gifting experience that they perhaps hadn't, you know, where they'd been disappointed. And the kind of top three things really came out about things we've mentioned earlier in, in the podcast, actually, the ability to have a much more kind of personal human message, gift wrap, so the, the ability, easier options and perhaps cheaper options, actually, for gift wrapping. And then it was interesting in terms of kind of designing the process and perhaps making kind of longer term improvements this topic of communication so making sure that myself as a sender is kept informed about when the person i'm sending to is going to receive and you know all of that kind of notification but also having that happen for the recipient so that it makes things easier for them if they need to be there to sign for the delivery etc but doing that in a way that doesn't necessarily spoil the surprise you know so if you want to make that in some ways anonymous about what the gift is where it's coming from uh thinking thinking carefully about how to design that into the process yeah that's really cool and i'm glad that we left the research until the end because i think it shows that it is something that consumers want and they're not currently getting as a full experience um, so we're going to wrap up the main section of our chat here. I'll be asking two quickfire questions to both Dickin and Peter for a few minutes to close out the episode. So stay tuned for a few more minutes. So I have two quick questions that I'm going to ask you both in this closing section of the episode. So the first one is, do you have a memorable story that jumps out when you look back on your career? It could be something funny, inspirational, something embarrassing, or whatever you like, just something that stands out. I started my career in the airline industry. Uh, I, was, I was marketing for British Airways. And every time we wanted an away day, we'd go and do it somewhere ridiculously exotic, like the Pyramids or Boston or Lisbon. And um, anyway, we got this time together, really, in these, in these places and on the planes on the way over and that sort of thing. Recently, that's been much more, what can we do in terms of Zoom calls and connecting with our teams on Zoom and so on? But it's every bit as valuable. I just think you've got to find time to connect with teams. And I don't think that can always be about business or about the next task. It's got to be some time to really sort of, you know, get together and enjoy each other's company and um, potentially do that over a drink. Yeah, I think that's a really good one, Dickin. Fingers crossed we can start to socialise with co-workers later this year and sort of make up for lost time and get that connection back. Do you have one as well, Peter, that you could share with us? One of my first memorable moments when founding Foolproof is hiring our very first full-time employee. So it's just you know, my business partner and I up until that point. And uh, he arrived for his first day and uh, his very first job, we gave him a flat-packed IKEA desk and told him to build his own desk. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a challenging first day. How did that one go? Well, at least he proved himself as a capable flat-pack engineer. <laughs> well, good to hear. I'm glad that they were able to uh, pass that first test. Just before we finish, does either of you have a favourite resource that you use regularly which could help our listeners with their work? I, I don't know if it fits your, the bill as a, as a resource as such, but kind of one of the things I received as a gift at Christmas was a, one of the, a little kind of tabletop sad lamp 
which is you know for people who don't get enough daylight and i think we're all you know trapped in winter working from home on zoom calls kind of for long days i found that that has added two things it kind of acts as a much better light for doing video calls but it also just helps cheer you up perk you up so it's kind of got a bit of a double whammy i actually really like that one peter i think it's very different to any other recommendation that we've had and I think it's important to invest in a good home setup if you do plan to work from home in the future or more often. Just before we wrap up, I will post a link to your research findings in our show notes if anyone would like to check that out. And there's also a really cool section on the Foolproof website, which is a journal of all the latest design, tech and business news. So feel free to check that out if you are interested. So we're going to wrap up the episode here. Thank you to you both, Peter and Dickin, for joining us and talking about a brand new topic on the show that is really unique, and I think it's going to add value to people that uh, can make changes and look at their gifting experience. Thanks, Liam. That's been really good. It's been a great chat. Yeah, thanks, Liam. Really enjoyed it. No problem at all. So thanks to everyone that's listened to this episode. Um, I've had a lot of fun learning from you both, and I think it will add lots of value. We'll be back next Wednesday with another cool and interesting topic. So have a great week, and we'll see you then.